good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Dorothy Polarski from Midday Moms. And instead of being midday, we're mid-morning. Thank you very much for joining us. As you're joining us, um, I would ask that you say hello in the chat box because uh, Father Michael and I, we like to know who's here. And uh, I, you know, I always say when you're staring at a screen and you don't see all of the folks in front of you, it does console us, you know. So in the chat box, why don't you say, hello, this is Mary from Mississauga or Helen from Hawaii. Um, please do say hello to us in the chat box. Tell us where you're from. Again, my name is Dorothy Polarski and on the behalf of Midday Moms, I would like to welcome uh, Father Michael Pace, all the way from Turin, Italy. Uh, what time is it there in Italy now, Father Michael? Hi, Dorothy. Hi, ladies. And any dads who are watching here in Italy right now, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. So it is midday moms in uh, Italy, and it's uh, mid-morning moms for uh, us in Toronto here. Um, Antoinette Pace, welcome. Hello, Antoinette from St. Benedict Parish. Rita, Rita, how are you, Rita? We were just uh, uh, talking about the mother's group at Benedict's. Uh, Christina from Etobicoke. Rosina, it looks like you've got quite the fan club here. <laughs> oh, so great to see you here. Uh, Suzanne Taras is one of our new mothers group leaders in um, uh, Fort Erie. So welcome, Linda Wiz. Oh my gosh, I love you, Linda. It's been such a long time. Uh, Linda is from uh, uh, Etobicoke, Nativity of Our Lord. So good morning to all of you and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, don't be afraid to say hello. Don't be afraid to pose questions. I just, I know that many of you have been here with us on Midday Moms before. Some of you have, some of you haven't. Um, so I just want to take a few minutes to extend a very warm welcome to those of you that have never joined us. I hope that this is the, you know, the first of many virtual meetups that you join us with. And let me tell you a little bit about our ministry. Uh, we are faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, I ask you to visit our website. I always say it's three words catholicmomsgroup.com catholicmomsgroup.com and we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood and we do that primarily by helping parishes start catholic moms groups i wanted to give a big shout out to a new group that we have starting in wales and a new group uh three new groups we're going to have starting actually in um, the St. Catherine's Diocese. And we also have a new group, Blessed Trinity in Toronto. So a big warm welcome. Um, I do want to show just a very short uh, video about our ministry. And right after that ministry, we're going to go straight to Father Michael. I know some of you are wondering, hey, I'm here to learn about a happy death. And we're going to do that. But I do want to share with you um, our ministry video. It's very short, and I trust you're going to enjoy it. So again, our uh, website is three words, catholicmomsgroup.com. We help parishes start 
of three different types of groups. And I just realized I put the wrong website up here, but now we're going to have the correct one. Okay, so we help parishes start three types of groups, either groups for moms only, or mothers and tots, or virtual groups. And again, we're faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto, and here's this short video. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings, made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know Him and love Him, and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our Church, Many mothers attending Mass could not name the moms sitting next to them in the pew they share. Community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at. Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mother's group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mother's groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mother's group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mother's group leaders across the world. It's time to start mother's group at your parish. Join us today. So we're 
we're hoping that someone here feels inspired to start a Catholic moms group at their parish. And a big shout out to Rema Chalio and her team at St. Benedict's Parish who have run one of the founding <laughs> mothers groups in the Archdiocese of Toronto. So a big warm welcome to all of you, but especially to Father Michael Pace all the way from uh, Turin, Italy. And Father Michael, not a lot of people know that you were a successful lawyer and, and not everybody here knows your bio and I usually have it printed out, but because of just a couple of different things, um, I don't have it printed out. Could you please tell us for those that don't know you, you know, tell us about yourself um, before we start on our, our, our talk. Sure, uh, thanks. I'd be happy to do that. I just, okay, my screen was black. Now you're back. So that's much more attractive. Okay, so everybody, here I am. I am Father Mike Pace. I'm from Toronto. I'm from St. Benedict's Parish, and I am the third of six children. And so I pursued my studies first at the U of T and got a degree in languages. And then I uh, pursued my law degree at Oxford Hall. Uh, got called to the bar just in time to realize I was called to the priesthood too. So I made the shift from the world of law to religious formation with the Salesians. Um, and I, here I am, echo, speaking Italian now. So after uh, my ordination uh, in St. Benedict's Parish in Toronto, I served as a social pastor in Montreal for seven years in an Italian-English parish doing a lot of uh, catechesis and youth ministry and working with hundreds of moms because we had a thousand kids in our catechism program. And I know some of our, uh, my Montreal colleagues are watching, so well done. After that uh, role of service, I was called back to Toronto where I was um, pastor. I was nine years, which were very rich and fruitful. I was very happy to see the uh, Catholic moms groups founded there. During my tenure, so it was a lovely part of a rich and beautiful um, experience. After that, I was called to uh, formation work with the Salesians, and I was moved to New Jersey uh, to do formation work for our young Salesians, after which I served as the um, shrine coordinator of our Shrine of Mariupol Christians in New York, at which point our, our rector major, our worldwide Salesian leader for the for congregation, wrote me an email and said, would I consider coming to work at the new um, Casa Don Bosco Museum at the Mother House where Don Bosco began everything? And here I am, vice director of the museum. So I like to say I've come to Turin to collect vices because I came as vice director. And now I'm also vice director of our community. So <laughs> picking up vices here in Turin. So uh, quite the, you know, just quite the service to the church and, you know, quite the jump from, uh, you know, a, a lawyer to the priesthood. So th thank you for your, your faithfulness. Um, so we're here to talk about a happy death and uh, not to be morbid and not to delay the topic, you know, any further. Can you tell us what that means? Can you tell us how we as moms can um, you know, fulfill that. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it all up to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's jump right in. It sounds, I know, like a contradiction in terms. What could be happy about a death? 
Okay, and yet when we just take a, some time to unpack it, I don't think it's as contradictory as it might seem. We're in this month of November. We remember the dead. This is Remembrance Day. We remember the dead, but, but to what end? And then, you know, we, we know that our death will come and no one likes to hear it. And none of us like to think about it. Uh, I think about a, a quote from uh, Umberto Eco, who was the writer of that great book and movie, The Name of the Rose. Uh, and a lot of my comments will be Salesian influence. Well, he's a past pupil of the Salesians. And at one point, he comments on the fact that in our culture, death has become people die far away in sanitized hospitals. We no longer follow the funeral cortege to the funeral, uh, to the burial place, rather. We cremate more and more, so everything is done and over quickly. Um, and yet he says, the only certainty that is staring us in the face from the day we're born is death. And we're only wise if we learn to make peace with that so it doesn't scare us when it comes. I know for you who are moms, maybe still of young children, I mean, you're still delighting in the joy of those young lives. And the thought of the death of your children must be the most jarring thing to have to consider. And yet the point of what we call this exercise for a happy death is to allow us to live better to live more joyfully and to live more fully, not because we deny that death will come, but because we don't want to waste a moment of our life, okay? And not have the regrets when death does come. And so that's why even the great joyful educator, the youthful educator, St. John Bosco, for his boys at the oratory, you know, hundreds of boys from 1846 when he began until the Second Vatican Council in the 60s, he had a particular form of exercise or retreat activity every month for the boys as well as for the Salesians. And every so month, every month, the not point the is to every month, every month. And I'll get into what the elements are because um, the whole point was to reflect on what we need to do to live freely and fully. Okay, why don't I just, just jump right into that and give you an idea of what this great educator did to educate his boys and his Salesians. And he would go so far as say things like this. Um, let me read the quote here. Talking to his boys, make the exercise for a happy death every month, make it well, make it unfailingly well. And he's the exercise for a happy death once a month and examine your conscience to see what you should acquire, correct, or take away so that you might be a better Christian. Think of how many times we exercise in the gym. We have an exercise plan for our bodies. We have an investment plan for our retirement. And we tweak it, and we work it, and we keep doing all that it takes with the point of retiring better. And we sweat it out in the gym to be healthier physically. Well, the exercise for a happy death is a way of developing ourselves spiritually. Let me just give you the components that uh, were, were, were staple pieces of, of Don Bosco's process. I offer it to this mom's group because what, what, what is a Catholic educator, like a priest or a Salesian? Someone who steps into the role of the mom or dad to educate children. So it's, it, it's very much a part of what I hope moms could consider. Certainly not maybe in the words that Don Bosco used. I'm going to read his litany. Um, but let me just give you the components. So every month, okay, 
a meditation or a conference um, to inspire a spiritual reflection on life. Uh, the prayer of Pope Benedict the Thirteenth, asking God for the grace of being spared from an unprepared death, spare us from dying suddenly when we're not ready. Prayer to Saint Joseph, the patron saint for a happy death, and why is he the patron saint of happy death? Because tradition imagines him dying with Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and uh, Jesus at his bedside. I remember going to the oratory in Montreal, Saint Joseph's oratory, and seeing, noticing for the first time, an image of Saint Joseph dying with Mary and Jesus beside him. Well, this exercise for a happy death for us is precisely that that we might come to the end of our days surrounded by all the graces of heaven and not be afraid of that passage from this life into the next. And then there was what uh, sort of the heart of Don Bosco's exercise was the litany for a happy death. I'm going to read that eventually in this, this little sharing. To create an awareness for a morbid depressive perspective, but that we might anticipate heaven and prepare for it through a life that is freely and joyfully lived in the light of the Christian virtues. That's what Christian education is all about. Uh, and then finally, um, an examination of conscience, uh, the decision to try better in the next month, to change something, to grow in virtue, or to step away from a bad habit, a good confession and holy uh, communion. For those days, Don Bosco would even bring in what he called um, extraordinary confessors, bringing in a priest not from the community so that the boys might feel freer and his own Salesians, priests and, and, and brothers, might feel freer to confess with less maybe intimidation if they know the priest to whom they're confessing. So, so there's a lot there already for parents, you know. What role do we have in our family for the sacraments, especially confession and mass? If I'm the mom or dad, how often do I go to confession? Do my kids know that I go? Do I invite them to come with me? Okay. So Father, like, there's I, already a lot there. Yeah. Can I, the one, go thing, ahead. The one thing that you said um, just before we, we started as well is that story that here you were, you know, a successful lawyer and that it was right. before you move into that, you know, that, yeah, because right. some people might change their life circumstance if they kind of, or maybe you were saving that story for right. later. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I will share that piece of the story. My powerful exercise for a happy death came when I least expected. I was in um, the last semester of law school and I was joined, I had joined a um, exchange program. I was in Montreal. And my girlfriend, also a law school student in Toronto, was in Toronto. And we had a very beautiful relationship. And I was in Montreal wrapping up the last couple months of my degree. I had my articles all lined up in Toronto with a nice litigation firm. And so it's, it's, it's February, actually it was March. And I'm in the library and I'm studying at the, uh, the University of Montreal Law Library. And all around me are these books, the image of my world that I'm constructing to be a successful man and get this thing done right and make money and all of that. And then I look out from the window at Mount Royal in Montreal. All of you Montrealers will recognize this. Uh, St. Joseph's Oratory on the hill, the mountain in, on the horizon. 
okay, well, that's God in my life, kind of at a distance. I know you're there, but don't interfere with my plans. I got it all figured out. Okay, I'll call you. You don't call me. And then the kicker between me and my world of legal knowledge and the career and God on the hill and the church was like acres and acres of tombstones. And for the first time in my life, I, I was about 27 years old. I was in shape. I was in love. I had my career all lined up. I'd be dead someday. I never thought about that really. Why would I? That was my aha moment. And it was like, ooh, between today and the day I have to meet God face to face and render an account for my life, what am I here to do? My vocational awakening. Uh, I didn't hear bells. I didn't hear angels. I heard, you're going to die someday. And I said to my, in my heart, I knew my, the gift of my life from God was not for me to do legal work. And I knew at that point, which was stunningly clear, I had to become a Salesian. And then I discerned it and I prayed and I worked through the processes and here I am. But it was the, the, the aha moment was at the peak of my young, romantic, professionally focused life. My plan, God let me see there was uh, a different awareness that he was going to bring to me through the awareness of my own mortality. And so the topic you've asked me to speak about doesn't scare me, doesn't depress me. It enthuses me because I love being a priest. I love being Salesian. I could have done the law thing. I can do a lot of things. But no, that wasn't my thing. I'm happy. I like being me as a Salesian priest. And I thank God for waking me up, ironically, by making me think about death. And that's the story. Yeah, and I, you know, I encourage moms. That's what it is. Yeah, and I encourage moms, too, to think about, like, how are you choosing to use your time? You know, you've been given the gift of these children. And right. in light of that, how are you choosing to use your time, right? So anyway, yeah. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I love that story when you told it to me. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, good. No, no, it's, it's you know, the, the point you just made, the, even if you go to scripture, think about, you know, the Psalm 90 that says, you know, what is the span of my life? 70 years or maybe 80 for the more robust. Okay. We tend to think we're going to be here forever. <laughs> we tend to think we're going to, okay? Yeah. We tend to think we're going to be here forever. But we're not. And so there's this idea of um, living our lives, um, using our time in a way that we can account to God for. You know, think of the scriptures that we, we read. We read, we have that prayer when Lent comes around. Okay, the, the rhythms of our liturgical life rooted in scriptures give us a built-in pattern of a spiritual for uh, exercise for a happy death. Maybe we just don't think about it in those terms. The last Sunday of Advent coming up, in this, or the last Sunday of ordinary time, the scripture, the gospel reading is always, you know, the, the, the judgment scene separating the sheep from the goats and those who will be admitted into heaven for the good they have done and those who will be cast out because they didn't use their time to do loving things. Um, go away. That, that's, that we will be judged on what we do. You know, I remember meeting Mother Teresa, and she says, that's all you got to remember. You know that gospel story? Take your hands. You did it for me. Jesus says, when you fed the hungry, you fed the poor, you dressed the naked, you visited the, uh, the, the, the lonely, you did it for me. And on this hand, I will, I desire, with God's help, to become a saint. That's all you have to remember. 
because saints live forever and death doesn't scare them. And we become saints by doing good things in the name of Jesus. Because that's all you have to remember as a priest. So the end of the year, the judgment. Advent comes around. And obviously to do this song. Rooted, there's a little a kid's hymn that comes from, um, from, the, from, from Matthew chapter 24. And now I can't find the specific reference, but anyway. Matthew 24, or Luke chapter 12, 40. The Lord is going to come at a time you don't expect. You know, stay awake, be ready. The Lord is coming soon. It's an Advent song we did ad nauseum in Montreal. But the theology is real. We don't know when he's going to come. We keep putting off God. I remember another death experience that marked me. My uncle George didn't know when he was going to die. I was 18 years old. I was on vacation in Malta, living with my aunt and my uncle George. They took me to the beach. He died in my arms in the beach. I carried him from the water to the beach, and he had a heart attack and died. 18 years old on vacation. Was it sad? Yeah. Did I miss him? Yeah. Was it a tragedy? No. See, the consolation my aunt had, and they had no children, was that he had been to confession the night before. And that morning he had been to mass. And there was a priest on the beach in his bathing suit. He didn't have the oils, but at least he prayed on my uncle as he was dying, right? So this, this, this living in the awareness of God's presence so that we might choose well how we live, all right? Um, when we get to Lent, what's the prayer we say to ourselves? Or whether the priest says when they give us, gives us the ashes, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And there's a tendency to um, avoid that line. It's not nice. We want to hear repent and believe the good news. Well, that's just a more, let's say, delicate way of saying you're going to die someday, so don't waste your time. <laughs> right? The scriptures remind us that we need to be mindful of where we're going so we can get there purposefully. You know? Um, we're all going to leave a legacy when we die. We don't think about that maybe enough. Am I going to leave a happy legacy or a painful one? All right? As a mom, as a dad, as a priest, as a pastoral leader, we know. And if we don't, we better realize that we always have an impact on someone, on everyone. Or either it's a positive impact or a negative one. What is who will grieve me, I hope, when I die. See? Um, the scriptures that say the sins of the father are passed on to the th thousandth generation. There's something in there about the purposefulness of life and the effect of our sin. A life not lived intentionally that helps others come to freedom has kind of missed the mark. Kind of missed the mark. See, to be a Catholic parent doesn't mean that your kids have to know every mystery of the rosary by heart in Latin. That's not going to save anybody. Okay, what's going to save the kids is that they grow up knowing how loved they are by God. And therefore, they have a dignity. And therefore, we can trust the Lord. He's our friend. He's going to guide us. He's going to move us forward. But we have to step away from whatever is not of God. Okay, so we can work with him. Our culture is quite um, sanitized 
I'd like to read Don Bosco's litany for, for a happy death. Um, when I first heard it as an adult, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's pretty intense. Okay. This is something that they did at the oratory for 150 years with boys and teenagers, as well as the Salesians. Now, before I read it, let me say this, okay? The practice was rooted in a long, solid Christian tradition. These predator, um, in, in, they were the, the, the staple type of parish mission that people did regularly, okay? It was a Jesuit, a Jesuit uh, kind of thing that other people picked up on. And in Don Bosco's case, he was educating children. He was raising Christians in the period of romanticism, you know, as an art form or literary form. Therefore, very, um, very charged emotionally, the whole romantic period, the paintings and the novels and all of that. So as I read these words, um, even if you want to close your eyes, because what he would do is say, okay, boys, let's do our meditation. Let's remember that uh, tomorrow, let's say you're going to die. And if there's anything you need to make peace with, this is the day to do it. Now close your eyes and listen. I'm going to read the meditation. It's a little bit long. I may not do it all. Um, uh, feel free, um, Dorothy, as you're listening, if, it, if it's time to stop it, just wave and I'll leave it there. But he, here it goes. Okay, so imagine that you're on your deathbed and after each invocation, you say, merciful Jesus, have mercy on me. This is how it went. Lord Jesus, God of goodness and Father of mercies, I approach you with a contrite and humble heart. To you, I recommend my last hour and the decision of my eternal destiny. When my feet, benumbed in death, shall warn me that my mortal course is drawn to a close, merciful Jesus, have mercy on me. When my hands, cold and trembling, shall no longer be able to clasp the crucifix, and against my will, I am forced to let it fall on the bed of suffering. Merciful Jesus, have mercy. When my eyes, dim and troubled at the approach of death, shall fix themselves on you, my last and only support. Merciful Jesus, have mercy on me. When my face, pale and livid, shall inspire the bystanders with compassion and awe, and my hair bathed in the sweat of death, and stiffened on my head, shall forebode my approaching end. Merciful Jesus, have mercy on me. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's pretty intense, okay? But I want to put that in context. Huh? If kids can watch mummy movies and all the things they see on TV, they're not going to get freaked out by a healthy explanation of death with a view of living better. I remember in Montreal, and if Antoinette uh, is watching uh, from Montreal, when her now man son was a little boy, at the church, I'm doing a funeral, and there's, there's people crying everywhere. And this four-year-old boy named Gabriel looks at his mom and says, Mommy, why is everybody so sad? Didn't they know that Auntie was just here for a vacation? Our real home is in heaven. There's a little boy, four years old. Okay, another story I remember about a child's ability to um, manage the reality of death in a kid's way. When my Aunt Mary died, we're at the funeral home and her coffin is open and we're having the wake. And my little nephew, Jonah, who must have been about 
five at the time, strolls over comfortably. He places his arms crossed like this on the edge of the coffin, and he puts his neck on his uh, wrists, and he's watching Aunt Mary in the, to in, the, in the coffin. And I hear shrieks from other people. Somebody go save him. He's going to be so upset. Go, he's watching her. No, that, that's your anxiety, adult. You have not made peace with the reality of death. That little boy is serene. I went over to him and I did the same thing. And we sat kind of face to face, you know, watching my aunt. And he says, um, where's she going to sleep tonight? I said, well, right here. Oh, is she going to be cold? No. But will they bring her a blanket? I said, yeah, they'll, they'll cover her. She'll be fine. I'm going to talk to the next person. Kids can grasp in kid-sized portions the mystery, the reality that death is. And we have to be careful as educators, as moms, dads, as priests, not to impose our anxiety on the next generation. Often, you know, if we're not at peace with our mortality, we will speak of death in a way that is creepy or scary to our kids, to your kids, to our students, to our parishioners. So this idea of exercising ourselves to develop a capacity to live serenely in the fact that this piece of life on earth is not the real deal, right? It, it's always sad when, it, when, it, when a child dies. Of course it is. We wish it never happens. But, but let me say this, okay? The measure of a successful life is not the length of years that it had on earth. The measure of a successful life from the Christian perspective is that life that now lives in heaven. So if I get to heaven when I'm five, or I spent 90 years on earth, but I was far from the Lord, which life is more successful? We tend to think that just because we're here longer or we accumulated more, we did it right. You know, not necessarily. And this, this opens up then the Christian optic of why we reflect on death to live better, the attractiveness of being a saint. Saints are not boring people. Saints are men and women fully alive because they've grasped the essence of what they're here for. You, you know that, that passage that I read about Don Bosco's litany for a happy death? Well, St. Dominic Savio knew it. He said it every month for two years, 24 times he did it. He came to Don Bosco's oratory, lived here for, for two years. He went home to die when he was 14. On his deathbed, you know what he asked his dad to read for him? The very litany that I began to share with you. It was a consolation for him. And I, want, I wanted to share how that piece goes because it's quite compelling. This is written by Don Bosco from what he heard from Dominic Savio's dad. Obviously, they had done a good job raising this boy. He's a saint. In the last minutes of Dominic's life, he had his father read to him the prayer uh, of, the, of, of the happy death, which we began together. He carefully and distinctly repeated every word, repeated after his father, but he wanted to say the refrain all alone, merciful Jesus, have mercy on me. He came to the words when at last for you, and see you for the first time, and, and see the immortal splendor of your majesty, 
do not reject it from your presence, but deign to receive me into your loving bosom that I may eternally sing your praises. Well, daddy, he said, that's exactly what I want. And then the last thing Dominic did, he kind of lurched up out of his bed. He says, oh, what a beautiful thing I see. And like reaches up as if to grasp heaven. And then he passed. We're talking about death of a teenager. It's not easy. It's not happy. But there's the opening here of Christian joy because as young as he was, he fulfilled his mission. He got to heaven. Now, can I, can I just, uh, I guess, a couple things. Um, a few people have been asking if they could get a copy, a full copy of that litany. I don't know whether that's something that you could, <laughs> sure. that you could send to I me. Send it to you as soon as we're done. So Absolutely. I, send it to, now, I put a caveat. I'm happy to send it. Let's, let's use it and adapt it. The goal is to get us to think about what, how I'm spending today in view of eternity. I wouldn't necessarily use that with my, with my 12 year old son tomorrow in those words. It was a different culture, a different, a different era, a different time. sensitivity. But yes, grasp now, the essence a different time. Now, I, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be curious. But to, to grasp it as a, as a, as a, no, go ahead. Yeah, and so I, I guess too, like in our description, we talked about, you know, having a plan for it. And, you know, I know right. my, my own mom was kind of like, you know, make sure you say three Hail Marys every day for the moment of your death. After I go, make sure that you order the Gregorian masses, you know, make sure that there's a priest, you know, make sure you pray the divine mercy chaplet, <laughs> you know, so like my mom gave us instructions, right? And I'm right. tempted to leave those same instructions for my own kids. Um, so right. if you did want to have that kind of plan, um, do you have any kind of thoughts on, um, yes, we need to reflect on it, but to have a, a plan? Do you have any kind of? Um, well, Don Bosco's essentially had two components, okay? Is it live in the healthy and serene awareness that your death will come and have recourse to Mary because she is our great assistance, especially at the hour of death. We say it in every Hail Mary. Pray for us now in the hour of our death, amen. But then he says something interesting. But don't think because Mary wants to help you get to heaven, you can live fast and free because you got the Mary insurance going on. <laughs> he puts that caveat. Okay, so I would add this. And I love the rosary. I pray the rosary. I encourage the rosary. I make rosaries. I sell rosaries. I do it all over the place wherever I go. If you say a million rosaries, but you're a miserable person, I'm not sure it's gonna save you, okay? So when it comes to lists of devotional practices, everybody will have their favorite. For Don Bosco, the essential was um, the, a good confession monthly, attend mass regularly, regularly, reflect on what growth or progress you've made in the virtues in the past month, and identify maybe where you've regressed, where you slipped back. What do I have to change to grow in virtue? Okay. I would say we do that exercise thinking about the people with whom we have the most difficulty. Because that's where we know we have to grow. That's where the growth comes. 
So if I say 55 chaplets of the divine mercy, I'm not gonna talk to my brother because I hate that he has a car and it's better than mine. Don't bother saying the divine mercy. Go and make peace with your brother first. And that's not me, that's Jesus. See? So we have to be careful, I think, not to buy a false insurance plan. It's not the list of prayers alone that's going to save us. It's the intentionality with which we pray those prayers. And I encourage you to pray those prayers. But the, the, the level of integrity of our faith is visible in the way we're, we're building relationships or better yet healing relationships or being patient in the way we relate to people when things cannot change. I think that, that, that that's sort of the, the dynamic. It would be too easy to reduce yeah. um, living right by just, I got the rosary hanging on my rear view mirror. It's not going to do any good if you don't pray it. Right? And I think that's important. But by all means, whatever devotional practices move the soul, that was the goal of Don Bosco's prayers. Pope Benedict the Thirteenth praying for the grace to be spared from an, um, an untimely, unprepared death. You see, um, that's the other way of saying, help me live in the awareness of my mortality so every day can count. If I was going to die tomorrow, what would I change today? So I'm going to tell you another story. When I was a new priest in Montreal, I had never dealt with somebody who was dying yet. Okay. But I, I remembered what I'd studied in my master's about pastoral planning and all this. So, or, yeah, pastoral ministry. So they, this family calls me. Father, will you come to our house? Um, our daughter is dying of cancer. And I thought, okay, I go right over there, right? Oh, but, but nobody knows. So don't say anything. Okay. So I go there. And the, the daughter is like 39 years old. I was picturing a six-year-old. A grown woman, an adult, okay? So the house was full of people. But nobody knows she's dying of cancer. Well, I go in to see um, the daughter. Well, with all due respect, okay, it was obvious she was dying of cancer. It, it was obvious the color of her skin. It was obvious. She, we talk and we pray. Father, don't tell my dad I'm dying of cancer. He doesn't know. I don't want to upset him. I said, you know what? Your dad knows. And you know what you got to do? Dad, because I love you, I got to go. And before I go, I want to say I love you. And I want to say I thank you for this, this, and this. And I'm sorry for that, that, and that. And um, please forgive me for this. <gasps> I don't think I can do that. If you can't do it, don't do it. But pray for the courage. Okay. So I go back to the living room. And dad calls me outside. Now, dad, God bless him, was like an Italian grandfather. I wanted to hug him and kiss him. I may have even done that. But he pulls me aside. He says, Father, um, he didn't know I'd been in to see his daughter. When you go see my daughter, don't tell her. She doesn't know. She's dying of cancer. Okay? And I did the same routine with him. They actually had that little exchange. He came back. I didn't think I could ever say it because I love you. It's okay to go. I did it. The point of that, if we live in the denial of death, it only puts up barriers. If we're living aware and 
so th there's two contexts here. When death is at our doorstep, let's be at peace with it, get there, grow into a peacefulness. But in the days and the years, when we, I hope they're long of our healthy living, let's make the most of that so that we don't have any regrets. You know, nowadays when you see living with no regrets on, on Instagram posts or movies or films, whatever, it usually means doing outrageously courageous things, maybe foolhardy, that are fun, give you a rush, and there's a place for that. But the ultimate have no regrets is like, I don't want to waste my life. I don't know who said it, but if you're not, if you're not working to become a saint, you're wasting your time. Uh, and you know, Joan of Arc. Yeah, the, 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 the other thing I wanted to just, this is always like a really sensitive topic, but when you, um, yeah. when you mentioned, um, you know, Mother Teresa, and she said, all you have to remember mm. is, you know, the, the least that you did for us is, you, you did it to me, you did it to yeah. me. And I find that, you know, when I was like, for example, in the, you know, corporate world, and like it's, it's it's almost as if now we're kind of like okay I got my master's degree I got my house in Woodbridge I got my you know car I got my trip to Punta Cana I got my and so it, it's almost as if we reflect on our lives now um, based on a human doing function opposed to a human being function. And the one thing, you know, yeah. I often say, like, there, there's this big thing now, too, even in Catholic circles for Catholic moms, like, discover what your passion is and pursue that passion. And I'm kind of like always encouraging moms, you know, just to think about, like, okay, like to, you know, to serve your dinner with love and my bad lately, I haven't been in the mood to cook, you know, but but that our role as a mother is just as important, if not more important than getting the master's degrees, than getting the house, right? Like there, there just seems to be this real disconnect that, you know, I always say when my kids used to always kind of say like, you know, Ma, why can't I do this? And why can't I do that? These kids can do this. And, and I'm like, because when I die, and I used to say it all the time, I have to give an account of the kind of mother that I was, right? And whether I guarded you from this and whether, you know, and, and my boss is, you know, not the kids on the street, but my boss is, is God. So I have to, and I, I think that sometimes moms today kind of forget that accountability for the souls that they are caring for, right? And I don't know whether that's off base or not, or. Well, I'm gonna reply in this way. Well, that move from being a lawyer, becoming a religious priest. A lot of people said, why? What a waste. When my sister Martez became a religious, oh, but she's so beautiful. Why would she do that? As, as, as if the option explicitly to serve the church means you're a loser and you're ugly and you're uneducated. Mm -hmm. That's the underlying premise. So losers become religious and priests, not successful men become you know, uh, lawyers and beautiful educated women become corporate executives. And I think that the disconnect applies to motherhood. A successful woman today has to do this because her husband had it or the other guy has it. And there's, there's a, disprezzate, um, now the words come in Italian, a devaluation or almost a shame around motherhood. Well, I'll tell you this, I'll never, I'll never be a biological mom, 
But the analogy for me, I am not ashamed of being a priest. I have no money. I have no sex. I have no investments. I have no property. I love my life. Now, moms, you, you, I'm not going to judge for you how to live your life. You, I hope you're passionate about a lot of things, okay? Because that's what fuels us. But what is my passion? Is it a selfish passion? Is it, is it, is it an escapism? Or is it the passion that comes from knowing I have a purpose for the years that are here given to me by the Lord? And I'm going to pursue that with passion, okay? Because we got to have passion. We got to have passion. Otherwise, we're more mush. What am I passionate about and why am I passionate for it? I think those are maybe the questions yeah. I would ask. And, 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 you know, I always think like, you know, when you look back fondly on, you know, like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, like when I am quote unquote gone, I always kind of say like, you know, do kids look back on their mom or their dad thinking, Oh, my mom right. got her master's. My mom was the VP of finance. Right. Or is it that, you know, hey, my mom right. made a good lasagna and she was there for me. Anyway, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to get off the topic, but I, I just think that moms can think about the value of their vocation of uh, motherhood right. in context of, you know, death too right like what legacy are you leaving i'm sorry i i, I didn't mean to take us off the topic yeah, no. I, I think it's on the topic i don't think you'll be gone in 10 years and even when god calls you you're going to linger with us for a long time Dorothy. okay but the the, the the essential thrust i hope to leave today is is all of this reflection on death for the sake of choosing intentionally what do I give myself to in life? Say, what is worth living for? What is worth dying for? What is worth getting tired over? What is worth spending my money on? Say, so I think that's the question. Am, am, am I fully alive? You know, the glory of God is a person fully alive, St. Irenaeus. That's what the saints are, people who are fully alive because they cut through the chaff and they know what's important, and they know what's not, and they don't care if other people agree with them, because they've seen the depth of the God peace. You see, they can cut through, there's a lot of peer pressure culturally to not do the Christian thing, but to do the, you know, the glossy magazine thing. Um, let's think about that time when I'm going to be on my bed. Who's going to be, who's going to want to be beside me when I die? Who's going to say, thank God he's gone? Who's going to say, right? It's, it's not to like, it's, it's not to go like, you know, I'm not saying you go looking for people to say nice things about you, but you're going to leave a legacy. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Um, I love all these, 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 these quotes of the saints, you know. Uh, you don't have to be boring or dull to be a saint. This is great from Don Bosco. A saint was once asked, while playing happily with his friends, he was a young saint, what he would do if any angel told him that in a quarter of an hour he would die and have to appear before the judgment seat of God, the saint properly replied that he would continue playing because he was certain that these games are pleasing to God. I love that. Play your way to heaven. Okay, you think of um, Carlo Futis, the youngest blessed in the church, 15 years old. 
He says, I, I'm, he goes, I'm looking forward to dying because I know I've never done anything that was displeasing to God. <laughs> that, that's pretty intense. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not, not sure I can say that yet. Right? Um, so we, we, we look to the saints and we hear what they said. Uh, Dominic Savio on, 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 on his first Holy Communion Day, death, but not sin. I'd rather die than commit a sin. You know, and there he was. He, the Lord took him maybe at his word. He, before he was really, you know, capable of, let's say, big sin. He was a kid. He died at 14. The Lord took him. Is that a wasted life? I don't think so. He's in heaven. He's ahead of me right now, and I'm 58, right? So, and not to be afraid of death. No, no, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Yeah, and it's and we're afraid to die, I think, because we haven't really begun to live. We haven't begun to live. We live in so many fears and anxieties that keep us from really enjoying this world. We can't control everything. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be grief. End of the day, it, it's okay. It's okay. Anyway, some few thoughts like that. Yeah, so um, I, I do want to, uh, um, I, I, I just if, I guess, have some, if you have any closing thoughts, I know that some people were kind of concerned that Dorothy, like sometimes you go on too long and I want to observe a moment of silence at 11. So I want to kind of be respectful to, to uh, we still have seven minutes. Before. <laughs> we have seven minutes. Um, and it's, it's interesting too, right? That you say that, that some of the saints had this conviction that, um, you know, they would rather, you know, die than sin. And yet right now we live in a culture that won't even call a sin a sin, right? And mm -hmm. you ask a lot of young people now, well, what is a sin? Many wouldn't even know. Like, I know that there are many, right. many Catholic moms even that I know that won't say to their kids, look, you shouldn't be living with someone um, before you get married. That premarital, you know, like some of the basic stuff that, you know, my mom, you know, taught us isn't being taught at home. So... Uh, yeah, I always say woe to the mothers that didn't teach their kids about sin and what is sin and what is mortal sin and what is venial sin. And, you know, I always, you know, well, why do you talk so much about sin, mom? Why do you talk about sin? Because I always say, well, when I do a sin, I do this. I'm blocking myself from God. So I want to know what that sin is so I can remove it. <laughs> so I don't see a sin a scary yeah. word, right? Right, um, no. Anyway, so any closing? I, I would see that. I would see that in, in the, the, the broader context of this delight in living life fully. We reflect on our mortality. We name our shortcomings and our sin. Not to stay there, not to beat ourselves up, but to be conscious, to be aware, um, and move towards the trust we need in the Lord to move us to a healthier, holier uh, life of Christian virtue. Okay, I just want I just want to close up with uh, just again because as a Salesian, I'm always impressed by how Don Bosco can keep teaching us. Just preparing for this talk, the sequence of death experiences that he had to handle um, that really shaped his heart, I think, and formed his teaching. And I invite each of us to maybe reflect on the experiences of loss and death in our life, relatives, parents, grandparents, friends, children in the womb or outside of the womb, 
Everybody has their own story of loss, no? But to think of this young, this the saint of the young and the joy of Don Bosco, not because he was immune or isolated from suffering, six powerful experiences of loss in his life. At two years of age, his father dies. It was a shock. They were already poor. They were like crop sharers. The, the father dies, Francesco. He's two years old. He says, my first memory is seeing my dead dad and everybody crying and then everybody leaving the room and me staying there and mommy saying, come with me, John. He goes, no, I'm not coming if daddy doesn't come. And she takes my hand, he says, and he says, you no longer have She starts to cry. Two years old, his first memory. I don't even know if that's even psychologically possible, but he, he says it was. Um, when he's 12 years old, he wants to study. He can't, they have no money and his older stepbrother is beating him up for reading. He says, grab the plow and work. He meets a priest, Father Colosso, basically adopts him, teaches him. Uh, John lives with this priest. He dies suddenly. So his hopes for education are dashed. And the priest leaves him the equivalent of about $60,000 today, which was a fortune back then. The relatives take that away from Don Bosco's. He loses again the chance to study. Then he's 17 years old, his, his school friend dies. And then at 23, his seminarian friend, Luigi Camolo, dies. At 41 years old, his mom dies. And all of that is shaping this heart of faith and joy and optimism and courage for the kids. So it's not like if we reflect on death or experience it, it's going to cripple us or mar us. I think it makes us, I think it's a great um, filter to help us retain what's essential to live with more optimism because that we can't be surprised about what we know is going to come even if we don't know when it's going to come we know it is going to come so in the face of death you know christian optimism resurrection happened this is our life on earth is a necessary piece to get to heaven it's not the it's not the best piece <laughs> it's not the only piece and so we have to not mistake the peace for the whole. I wouldn't leave it there. I think for today. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I am gonna ask you just to speak to one more thing. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I meet moms. You know, I meet hundreds and hundreds of moms, and sometimes I meet moms where they have experienced some type of death in their life, and it's almost as sure. if they live in a morbid state. They've never been able to right. move. You, right. Sometimes you meet right. the widows right. too, right? Like they, they're kind of right. like living sure. this sure. frozen morbidity um, that is, right. is heartbreaking. Do you have any, any mm -hmm. maybe words or advice for women that are living in that frozen morbidity? They haven't been able sure. to move past it? Yeah. Well, I, I look at uh, 20, 20 years of priesthood and 28 of religious life, I am so convinced that um, grief work is necessary. Death produces grief, okay? Even for the most pious and genuinely faith-filled people, I'm going to say this. The risk that pious religious people face, and please hear what I mean by this, okay? This is not in any way denigrating prayerfulness or, or trust in, in Mary or the saints or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. If one is suffering of grief, 
alone or a charismatic retreat alone or an inspirational video is not going to bring us through that. It can help. Okay, but grace builds on nature. If we need to do grief work to deal with a loss, that's a, you need counseling with that to come free from um, the, the loss and what spins from it. I mean, this, this is textbook, nine stages of grief. You work through those, you come free so that spiritually you can move on to come into peace, to see God's designs even through the suffering. So not to be not not to separate the uh, the human journey of healing psychologically from the spiritual process of praying and entrustment and invoking and living in faith and accepting mystery. It's a continuum. So if someone is really burdened by 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 um, even a, a morbid obsession with death or a broken heart over a child loss or a broken marriage or whatever it is, whatever sadness or loss is present, it has to be talked about. When I talked about that, that adult woman dying of cancer and her dad, on top of the pain they couldn't get rid of because the cancer was there and she was dying, they had superimposed on themselves and on each other another layer of pain, keep it a secret. When they finally removed that, when they were given permission to speak about the unspeakable, a place of of exchange and conversation, which was rich, that they never would have had had she died without that piece of freedom. See? Uh, the, the grief You're... work in, is, is important. And just a shout out Absolutely. to Linda Wiz, uh, who's done a remarkable amount of grief work mm. parishioners at Nativity of Our Lord. So maybe okay. we just take, I don't know how to do this officially, Father, the, the moment of silence for Remembrance Day. I don't, so let's just take a moment now to reflect on Remembrance Day and to thank our Lord for all of those who died in service to our countries. Okay, and we'll we'll let you continue your moment of silence alone at home, <laughs> publicly, <laughs> whatever. And so, Father, thank you so much for um, joining us today. Uh, thank you, you know, all of you who have joined us. Uh, really, really love that you've uh, joined. Oh, Colette, Colette, Colette is our new mothers group leader. Uh, in Wales. So thank you, Father Mike. I lost my beloved brother last year who had said he had lost his uh, faith, but this helped me to be optimistic that my prayers for him can help him accept divine mercy and can help us be healed in our family grief. Um, thank you, Colette, for, for sharing. I'll definitely be praying for, for you and for the repose of the soul of, of, of your brother. Um, so thank you, Rosina, for joining us. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Dora. Thank you, Monica, Azapardi, Rema, Danila, all of you. Thank you. Uh, hopefully you can come back next week and sending a big virtual hug uh, to Father uh, Michael Pace. Thank you for joining us. And um, mwah, mwah, mwah. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Right, thanks for the invitation. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Arrivederci, Roma. Okay, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>